You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1165 of Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And thank you for joining us on the show today. As always, we have a two-part episode tonight on this Tuesday into Wednesday with Andrew Kelly of Peachtree Hoops. Andrew is very smart about the Hawks. He is dialed in about the analytics side and the team building side, as well as watching the team every single night. So always a pleasure to talk to him as a, as a repeat guest on the show. And uh, part one, you're listening to right now, will largely be a trade-based discussion, talking about the latest rumors with John Collins and Jeremy Grant and Ben Simmons and much more. And also part two will be sort of a state of the Hawks discussion, talking about the defense, Bogdanovich, uh, Herter, DeAndre Hunter's resurgence, all of that fun stuff on that show, and uh, just how good the Hawks might be the rest of the season will, will be sort of how we wrap up that episode of the podcast, but at least an hour plus of content over two episodes, and hopefully you enjoy the discussion. Before we bring in Andrew, though, a solo bit here at the top of part one, talking about the latest news as well as the Hawks-Kings game that will be on Wednesday. First thing on the agenda is that Trey Young won the Eastern Conference Player of the Week honors for last week, January 17th or 23rd. No surprise there. The Hawks went 4-0, and he was in the middle of all of it, as he almost always is for the Hawks. Trey averaged 31.3 points and 9.0 assists per game in that four-game stretch. He also shot the ball incredibly well. 48% from three, 91% from the line on 45 attempts in four games. That is excellent, of course. He is now a five-time winner of Eastern Conference Player of the Week in his career. This is the second time this season he has won the honor. And people kind of were asking why he would, would have won it over Joel Embiid, who had a little bit better counting stats. But the Hawks were 4-0, and the league loves to reward guys who are on undefeated or really good teams. And uh, Trey was, of course, the biggest reason, as often, why the Hawks turned around this last week and uh, had a very important winning streak. And not only were they just winning games, but they kind of had to. They were due for one of these, I in my mind at least, but they needed to string some wins together, and he was a big part of that. So congratulations to Trey Young on that honor. From there, and we're going to do a lot more of this stuff with Andrew when we bring him in in a few minutes. But Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report, who I think is very good at his job in the reporting space, Brought a lot of Hawks-related stuff to the table on Tuesday morning. Um, the first thing that I'll sort of touch on here is that it was clearly stated from Jake Fisher that the Hawks are not interested in taking on Tobias Harris and a Ben Simmons trade. Um, we talked about Ben Simmons a lot, and we'll do that more later. But Harris is a good player, but he is on an, a contract that I would call untenable from a size standpoint. Um, the Hawks are already committed a lot of money to guys like Trey and Collins and Capella, Bogdanovich, Herder, etc., and they don't have the stomach, I don't think, to have a massive tax bill next season. And uh, to summarize, if they were to trade for Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons, just for next season, again, this is just for next season only, those two guys are owed $73 million. By comparison, uh, a lot of the, I guess, hypothetical fate trades that I've been hearing to get Hawks, to get the Hawks, Harris and Simmons, would be basically a combination of Collins, Bogdanovich and Gallinari heading to Philadelphia for salary reasons. That makes sense. But when you factor in Gallinari's non-guarantee, the Hawks are only essential to pay those guys a guaranteed amount of about $46.5 million next year for three guys who were all high-priced, Collins, Bogdanovich, and Gallinari. That is almost $27 million less than it would cost just to have Harris and Simmons on the books for next year. So all that said, I'm not saying it's impossible because it's not. But unless Tony Ressler wants to pay a heck of a luxury tax bill or make some 
uh, cost-cutting moves elsewhere. I don't see a scenario where Harris is going to make a lot of sense coming with Ben Simmons, and I wanted to say it out loud to go along with Jake's reporting. Also, in Fisher's report on Bleacher Report on Tuesday, he says the Hawks and the Kings, who are playing each other, by the way, on Wednesday, are both, quote, strong suitors for Jeremy Grant. From the Pistons, Grant is a uh, combo forward for Detroit, has had a pretty prolific last two seasons. Talk about him more as a player later on. But Jake also has Atlanta and Sacramento on a long list of teams. That includes the Blazers, the Knicks, the Lakers, the Jazz, and the Wolves. Interested in Grant. Again, no surprise here in my mind that we just want to call about Grant because he does, um, he is a good player, for instance, that's definitely wildly available, as everyone kind of knows at this point. But basically, it all depends on price for me, always on trades, but definitely the case for Grant. And as we'll get into more with Andrew, uh, Grant reportedly wants a $100 million extension, which is a lot of money for Jeremy Grant. That's definitely a factor, and I wouldn't want to give him that contract, to be honest with you. So there's that. Um, the last thing from Jake is that he reports, I'm going to read this to you actually word for word, and I'm quoting here from Jake Fisher. While there has been no direct indication on particular trade frameworks for Atlanta's pursuit of Jeremy Grant, the Hawks have grown more active in searching for a new home for John Collins, end quote. Now, this is the most definitive reporting that I have seen that says the Hawks are kind of more actively looking to move John Collins in the past. This season in particular has been more about like taking calls and being available, which I can confirm is definitely the case. You know, everybody's available except for Trey and Capella because he can't be traded. But uh, this is more proactive, at least in the way that was reported by Jake. I personally don't think the Hawks are going to trade John Collins once there's a star player involved. And for my money, Jeremy Grant is not a star player. In fact, I will say this right now, and I'll, I'll probably repeat it again later. Uh, I would not I would not trade John Collins for Jeremy Grant under any circumstances, honestly. I think Collins is a much better player. He's also younger. He's cheaper. He's cost-controlled, etc. But it's still notable to me that Jake has, is at least here in the activity level, is wrapping up around Collins. Um, we'll get into that more later, but um, worth at least putting that um, on paper and seeing where it goes because there's still two and a half weeks to go before the deadline. I'm not saying Collins is going to get traded, but the chatter is at least out there that he's at least more available than uh, we probably would have thought a couple of weeks ago. Last thing before we turn it over to myself and Andrew is that the Hawks host the Kings on Wednesday. It's a back-to-back from Sacramento, and the Kings, as I'm recording this, are being absolutely blasted by the Celtics. So they already have a quick turnaround with a road back-to-back. That's always tough for any team, and the Hawks have been off for a couple days, so it's already a big advantage for the Hawks in the rest department. But the Kings were down 33-7 to to open the game against Boston. They were down 33 points at the half against the Celtics. And as I'm recording this, they're, they're down in the, in the mid-40s in the fourth quarter. Their largest deficit of the night has been 47 points, as I'm talking to you now. So um, I guess if you want to be a scared or maybe a, <laughs> a, a Hawks fan that has a, some pessimistic tendencies, you, you would note that the Kings didn't have to play very hard tonight, so maybe they'll have more energy tomorrow, a more of a bounce-back game. But they didn't look good tonight, let's just say. And the Kings are not playing well overall. This is a bad basketball team for the most part. They're not as bad as like the Pistons and the Magic and the Thunder, but they're in that next tier above that of teams that are like just not going anywhere basically at this point in time. Blowers on both ends of the floor. They're really bad on defense. They're bottom five in the league on defense. They do get to the line well and prevent free throws well. So if you're looking at a sort of matchup to watch for the Hawks on Wednesday, it might be the free throw line in terms of attempts, both um, created and prevented. Keep an eye on that. But for the most part, it's not the uh, not the best team in the world, let's just say. Um, injury-wise, it's a back-to-back for the Kings. We won't, we won't have their official injury report until later on. Um, worth noting, though, that they were actually without De'Aaron Fox and Chibazi Metu on Tuesday. I'm not sure if those guys will play at all on Wednesday, but they're obviously a lot worse if Fox doesn't play. They do have Davion Mitchell, who was a lottery pick, but he's more of a combo guard than an actual pure point guard at this point in time. So um, keep, an eye, keep an eye on that. 
Um, to the Hawks, the injury report is now out for Atlanta for, two, for Wednesday's game. And the big news is that Bogdanovich is probable. He's missed the last five games in a row with right knee soreness. Um, the AJC and Sarah Spencer reported that McMillan talked about Bogdanovich getting better and did a little bit of practice on Tuesday. But the big news is going from out to probable. Uh, usually probable means probable, and we'll see him play, but nothing guaranteed at this point in time. And Bogey has been out for a while, so I would keep my expectations pretty low. But it's still a good sign that he's been uh, upgraded on the injury report. Uh, elsewhere, DeAndre Hunter, after the hard fall he took on Sunday, is listed as questionable with low back discomfort. He had practice today and went through it, but was actually a little bit sore, according to, according to McMillan. So um, I'm not sure if he'll go or not, but uh, the listing does not, I guess, is probably a positive thing, and that there's no like injury beyond discomfort that is listed for Hunter. Clearly, they have to have him to be at their full strength. But uh, also on the injury report, TLC has a non-COVID illness. is listed as questionable. He's been out of rotation in the last couple of games, but worth noting in terms of depth because if Hunter couldn't go, you probably would have to play TLC, so keep that in mind as well. Um, I'll be optimistic for a second and just say, if all three guys play, no guarantee at all there. In fact, two of them being questionable means that it's probably more likely that all of those guys don't play. But if all three of those guys who are questionable or better play in this game, it'll be the first time all season the Hawks have their entire roster. Now, again, that might not happen, but it could happen for the first time all year if Bogey, Hunter, and TLC are all available, and uh, that's a landmark occasion for this Hawks team. Finally, there's no betting line on this game just yet because the Kings are still playing. Uh, the Hawks will be favored, barring a weird change in the injury report, like if Trey, for some reason, was a scratch or something like that. But as long as everybody's playing, even if they don't have Hunter or TLC or both or Bedanovich, the Hawks should be favored at home as a rest advantage team against a pretty shaky Kings team on the road, back-to-back, etc. So I'll uh, leave it there for now, but um, check out Bet Online if you want to find the lines for that game. I'll probably tweet it out a little bit on Wednesday as well. But I will just say this, the Hawks should win this game. Um, they are not going to, it's not a must-win. None of that stuff applies in January, but if you look at the schedule and circling one on the next on the next four or five that the Hawks are supposed to win, it's probably Wednesday with a rest advantage and uh, a pretty healthy roster going into that Kings game. All right, before we get to a break, I want to just tell you again that after the break, we'll get to Andrew Kelly with a two-part podcast. And do not forget to go to part two if you finish part one. I recommend that at the highest level. And without further delay, we'll talk to our uh, sponsors at this point in time, and the first of which is Prize Picks. Attention Hawks fans, you've been hearing me talk about Prize Picks for months now. Have you signed up yet? If you haven't, now is the perfect time. For a limited time, Prize Picks is exclusive, no-brainer of an offer for all of our users. They get $50 free. Yes, you usually get $50 for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point, but only if you use the promo code NBA. That's right, it's an exclusive offer available for all Locked On fans, only if you use the promo code NBA. Prize picks is the best NBA DFS prop game on the market, and it offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as the bench guys who only record a handful of minutes each and every game. Prize picks offers any prop you can think of, from points to assists to rebounds, three pointers, etc. You pick two to five players and overrun on their projections. You can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you against the projected numbers. There are also mixed sports entries on prize picks. You can take the over on Trey Young, combine with the under on your favorite football players in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play right now. And prize picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Go to prizepicks.com today or use the App Store and download the app. All users that use that deposit promo code of NBA will get $50 free on your first prize picks entry if you score a single point. One more time, all users that deposit using the promo code NBA will get $50 free on your first prize picks entry if, you, if they score a single point. Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. I am joined now by a good friend of the podcast, Andrew Kelly of Peachtree Hoops is here. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good, man. How about you? I'm living the dream. Uh, it's Tuesday, January 25th as we record this. We're like two weeks, a little bit more than two weeks from the trade deadline. 
and uh, a lot to discuss. Of course, the Hawks have been winning as well, which makes it a little bit easier to talk about the Hawks these days, a little bit more uh, positive vibes going through the fan base and through Twitter and things. And uh, you and I talk about stuff all the time offline. So I figured uh, every once in a while we'll, t- we'll take it online. And I appreciate uh, you joining me. This this first little discussion we're going to have is going to be uh, about kind of the trade stuff because there was a lot to get to. And uh, I was going to ask you to come on either way, but it's kind of uh, – I don't know if it's ironic or what that you're on for that because uh, we talk team building all the time and it's uh, pretty interesting to talk about the uh, the trade winds that are blowing uh, even at this relatively early juncture and I guess we should start with uh, the deal that already happened kind of because people were asking me why the Hawks did what they did with Cam Reddish a month before the deadline kind of the timing of that what they got back for it was uh, you know kind of what I expected, but not what everybody expected. Uh, now, Kevin Knox has been playing recently for the Hawks in the rotation and not looking too bad. Uh, so I wonder, as we go back a little bit before we go forward, uh, what was your reaction to the Cam Reddish deal? And like, did you have the reaction that a lot of people had, which was like, okay, this is the first thing of many, or was this sort of a standalone for you? And uh, kind of, I guess the words addition by subtraction have come up uh, recently a lot because the Hawks have been winning recently. Well, I think there is enough smoke with Reddish to know that there was going to be a move likely coming. Um, it just seemed like it was going to be inevitable that he would be moved at some point. Um, they had been shopping him for about a year, as you're fond of saying. For I believe they were looking for like a first round pick for a while. Yep. Um, I had heard too that they almost dealt him on on draft night too, but they couldn't quite find what they were looking for. So it seemed like it was it was going to happen. Obviously, we know now that he had asked out. Um, so everything just kind of pointed in the direction of a move for both parties, but yeah, it, it didn't really surprise me. I guess the Knicks, um, I didn't really see coming just because they have a crowded rotation and there was a report, I think a couple of days before that they were interested. So that ended up being truthful. Um, but yeah, it surprised me that it was the Knicks, but I, you know, it, it, it didn't surprise me that he got moved at all though. And I think the return was, was pretty good. I mean, if you take a step back, I mean, it, it all depends really on your, your, your view of Reddish, but if you look back, you know, this is somebody they took. Um, that had a year and a half left on his rookie deal. And they were able to get a pick that, you know, if it happened today, I think it would convey at about pick 20, pick 19. Um, so essentially a first round, uh, a mid first round pick for someone that had a year and a half left on his rookie deal that had not been a productive player to this point. I mean, I think, you know, if you're realistic about it, you have to like the return. But if you're very high on Reddish, um, then obviously you, you think that they should have gotten more. But I think it made sense for both sides overall. Yeah, we're in the same spot there. Uh, I thought the return was appropriate for what he could be. I, and I, you, you have to mention the downside. I, I know you know this too, but like there is still a world where he blows up a little bit. Maybe not to the level that um, the most uh, zealous Reddish defenders will talk about, but there's still a level. And Travis Lake even said this. I, I would say kudos to him for admitting this on the record, that there is a world in which, the, which this deal looks bad for the Hawks. Because if he if he reaches his potential, it's going to look like, 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 like they sold too early and too low. But I think objectively, like they got what they were probably going to get for him. Knox is kind of an interesting throw in. I'm not worried about that too, too much, but he has been playing and there is a role for him, at least at the moment with the Reddish off the roster. I'm not going to go down this road too, too far. Um, But, you know, what did you what did you actually make of him going to the Knicks? Because of like there's been the talk last couple of days. He's not really playing for the Knicks, which doesn't surprise me that much when you look at who's coaching the Knicks. Tibbs is not someone who likes to give developmental minutes. And that's what they are right now. As much as Cam is talented. He's not proven to be a guy that is going to be, you know, notably better than what they have already. So what do you make of that without uh, sort of derailing the podcast uh, overall? <laughs> yeah, from the next side, I mean, I just kind of think that there has to be more moves coming. I mean, Alec Burks is someone they could look to deal at some point. I know they signed Fournier in the offseason, but when you invest, you know, what 
is likely to be a mid first round pick. Uh, it's protected for a little while. So if it doesn't convey this year, then they, they, they still roll it over, but it, it should eventually convey around mid first. Um, but if you invest that in somebody, I think you have to get um, a return for it. You have to at least see what he looks like. So I would imagine there's going to be more moves coming that will open up some, some minutes for him. But yeah, it is a little surprising just to see him not really getting much, you know, burn at all. I mean, it's always tough when you, mer- when you move to a new team, uh, midseason because you have to adapt to a new role adapt to a new coach and all that but yeah it is maybe a little bit surprising that he's played so little I mean I know he had the injury too but I got to think that there's going to be another move coming at some point for them yeah on one hand you would say like the Knicks don't really have a three like they don't have a I mean on their roster I mean RJ Barrett's closer than they have to really having like a a full-blown small four they have a bunch of guys who have played the three a little bit you mentioned Alec Burks they have some depth in the backcourt, you know, guys like Quentin Grimes, who I like a lot, but he's he's a two and um, all that stuff. So there is a role for him, but he has to be better than what they had before. And it's one of those front office versus coaching staff things, I think I would imagine at this point. Like, I, I would hope yep. the Knicks would, would like him to play, but they also have Tibbs on the sidelines. So we'll see. But uh, anyway, we, we can move on to uh, some Hawk stuff now. Um, I guess we should start with Ben Simmons because it's the name. Number one, it's the biggest name. Number two, it's the name that has been, I would say, most directly linked to Hawks rumors because – as much as it's been going for a couple of weeks now, the deadline's still two plus weeks away. And a lot of times, as you well know, the rumors don't really get going until like the last week, last few days beforehand. So it's still fairly early in the cycle, but there have been multiple reports about the Hawks calling on Simmons and being interested in Simmons and liking Simmons. There's also been the other side of it, which is Philadelphia asking for the sun, moon, and stars. By all accounts, there was even more uh, confirmation of that uh, this week in a couple of different reports that have been out there. So I guess I'll open up to you first and just kind of ask you what you broadly think about this, because there's like a lot we can get into about like how he fits on the roster, but inter- and actually what you have to give up because if it has to be, there's always a price for every, every single deal is what I always say. But um, if you're a Haw- if, and you are a Hawks fan, if you're a Hawks observer, do you want Ben Simmons? Is it like a yes, please? It's, is it a so-so thing for you? Is it absolutely not? Like, where are you at on Ben Simmons, the trade entity before we dive in even further than that? Well, I think with the way he exited the playoffs, it's just naturally created um, sort of an undervaluing of him as a player. Um, I think that's naturally to be expected. I mean, he's still, I would say, roughly a top 40 guy in the NBA. He's 25. He's got years left on his deal. So you have extended team control. I mean, he's a very good player. There's a reason he's been an all-star multiple times. Um, From the Hawks perspective, I think that you know, what it really boils down to is that you have to be at least interested in the idea of having one of the best offensive players in the NBA and one of the best defensive players in the NBA. And when you look at how the Hawks have performed defensively to this point this season, obviously getting a player like Simmons, who's arguably the best perimeter defender in the league, um, makes a lot of sense, at least for for that uh, for that front. Um, so as far as Simmons as like a player, I would have to be pretty intrigued by that. Um but certainly when you start to get into what more he's looking for, it, it, it starts to become very difficult. Um, just from a personal perspective, I, I tend to think that he's, he's maybe waiting to the offseason and make a run Harden. And, you know, I, I don't know that he's necessarily looking for the package of assets that the Hawks would offer unless they're willing to take back Tobias and create more, you know, financial flexibility for him. But from the Hawks fit uh, side, I mean, I do like him a lot as a player. Um, I think he would have to adjust his role a bit. He's someone that likes to have the ball in his hands to sort of, be engaged offensively and you're going to get less of that with Trey. Um, but I think like an idealized version of Simmons could work well with, with Trey on offense, you know, somebody that could help with his limitations in half court offense um, where he could operate more, you know, on the roll, um, 
taking four on threes when Trey is trapped, things like that, I think would be advantageous for Simmons, but I don't know that that's the role he's looking for. So he'd have to sacrifice more offensively. So you'd have to kind of know going in if that's something that you think he'd be willing to do. But defensively, I, I think that that's really the, the central part of the appeal is just how much he could help their defense. But yeah, I mean, I'm like Simmons I always have for a while. I think that people have gotten too low on him, but I just, you know, I, I don't see the Hawks meeting their asking price ultimately. Yeah, that, that's a good sort of way to lay it out in uh, in clear terms. And we're going to dive into it a little bit more and all the angles on Ben Simmons as well as Jeremy Grant and others. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. But on the line, well, I'd like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline.ag remains the number one spot for all the sports wagering action for 2022. And with the new year, we have new updated desktop and mobile websites to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% extra cash on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On to get started. With football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, and much, much more, do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available at BetOnline.ag for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports action. And again, 50% welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag if you use the promo code Locked On to get started. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, Andrew, let's keep talking about Ben Simmons. Um, <laughs> it's it, it's interesting, like. I've found myself, as I often am, and I sort of make fun of myself behind the scenes about this. I'm in the middle on Simmons, which is very on brand for me. Uh, I don't hate Ben Simmons. I think there is a crowd that's just like, please don't ever trade for Ben Simmons. Um, he won't work. And uh, because of what you said before, like, I think his value in some circles, at least, is well, is very low at this point because of the way the playoffs ended and because of the obvious flaws in his game. On the other side, I don't think that necessarily I would treat Ben Simmons as a ready-made star in the way that Daryl Morey's asking price is indicating in the way that some might view him. So it's kind of in the middle, like it comes down to price for me. Is he a good basketball player still? Yes. Is he, is he probably underrated in some circles? Yes. And honestly, the theoretical fit of what could happen with the Hawks is pretty intriguing to me, especially when you, for the first time in his career, put Ben Simmons with a guy in Trey Young that can actually run your offense and have Ben Simmons not run your offense. The questions, though, it's kind of, kind of start there in that does Ben Simmons want to play with a guy like Trey Young and not have the ball in his hands? Um, does Trey Young want to have the ball in his hands a little bit less? Because I think the even if you thought that Ben Simmons could be like an evolutionary form of himself and kind of be a pick and roll dive man and all this stuff, he still has to have the ball sometimes because he doesn't shoot. So unless you want to make him a center, which I think the Hawks probably won't do, or nobody would probably, probably wouldn't do that, at least right away. Um, is Trey willing to kind of move off the ball a little bit more than he has been? That's, that's been sort of an everlasting question with the Hawks. And then you get into the money stuff too. So I'm up my, my stock line. I wonder if this makes, if this makes sense to you is like, there is a price where I would do it. I am very skeptical that that price is what the price actually would be. Uh, I think I, I will be very surprised if the Hawks made a trade for Ben Simmons in the next two weeks. And I thought it was a good trade for the Hawks. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think, in order to get Simmons, just looking at it from Maury's perspective, I mean, when you look at like the big needs of the Sixers, of the Sixers, they're they're really looking for more like perimeter creation. Um, they would like to get probably a good guard back. Um, the Hawks don't really have that to offer them, so I think they would have to pay even more. And especially if Maury's going to like forgo the opportunity to make a run at Harden, you're really going to have to throw in a lot. Um, so I just don't see that happening you know i mean maybe they can find another team that would take tobias or something along those lines so it, it, it starts to add up in a way that you know makes sense for the sixers but 
I think it's going to be tough. You know, I, I think he wants to take it to the off season if he can't get, you know, exactly what he's looking for and then make a run at Harden. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at on him. I mean, he's somebody again, that if you're not paying like 150% of his value, like I would like to get, but yeah. I think that's what it's ultimately it's going to take. Yeah. Especially now, you know, it's, it's, you're kind of putting yourself in a, in a bad spot on the outside. And even if, you know, I might hear things behind the scenes that people wouldn't necessarily hear. I think not, there are very few people in the world, even plugged in reporters that know what Darren Moore is going to do with this. I think that his asking price, I mean, I, I cannot stress to people enough how high it still seems to be. There's this like kind of give and take in the media and the reporting about, you know, maybe the price is coming down or whatever. But even today I heard, I'm not even going to tell you what the offer was, but I heard something off the record today about how high the asking price still would be. And it's just like, that can't be real. Like who's going to pay that asking price for him right now? And maybe somebody will. And maybe there's a King's trade. That's the other team that's been prominently featured with Simmons and all that stuff. Um, I have more of an abstract question for you about Ben Simmons before we move on to maybe Jeremy Grant and stuff like that. Um, I've kind of said in terms of basketball, once you get beyond the cost for Ben Simmons, my my biggest basketball concern about trading for Ben Simmons as the Hawks is pairing him with Clint Capella. And you could say that they could trade Capella in the offseason. And if, honestly, if they trade for Ben Simmons this year by the deadline, I will probably, even as a big supporter of Clint Capella, who I think is very, very good, I will probably have to go on record as saying that the Hawks should trade him in the offseason because I don't I don't think that that's a good fit long-term with those two guys. Would it be tenable short-term? Sure, maybe it would be. But then you're playing two non-shooters. Um, number one, does that concern you? And number two, is that like a, is that a reason not to do it? Or is there another reason, like basketball-wise, even beyond the fit that you wouldn't want to bring Simmons in? Yeah, I think your thoughts are along the same as mine. I mean, you could try to make it work short term. I mean, if you've trade for a guy like Simmons, then you're thinking long term to begin with. You would you're hope. not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would. You'd hope so. You're not necessarily prioritizing this season, you know, to the utmost. Um, so that way, you could sacrifice some value, you know, with the fit with Capella, and then in the off season, you could try to move him on. But yeah, I think you you kind of have to. I mean, you just can't have a big that's going to occupy the dunker spot in the way that Capella does to fit with Simmons with a Kongu, I think you could just because a Kongu is just so active. And like I said, he, he doesn't just have to sit in a dunker spot. He can shoot a little bit, you know, at least a, you know, a short mid range. So I think he could, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think he could work in a way with Simmons that I, I don't think Capella could. So, you, you know, that isn't, so what I'm doing there is I'm not saying that you have to have like a Miles Turner type to, to pair with Simmons. I think a Kongu could work, but Capella is just so limited offensively that I don't see that working long term. So yeah, if you if you get Simmons, then you're likely dealing with Capella in the offseason. Yeah, I would I would imagine, especially because yes, they gave him the extension, but also uh, I think everyone, including the Hawks, know what they have in Akongwu, and I think eventually they're going to have to move on from one of those two guys, and you know that would be the time to do it. I would I would imagine. Um, I'm going to use John Collins as a bridge to Jeremy Grant in some ways. So this is going to be an artful uh, transition, but um, obviously a lot of the Ben Simmons constructions involve John Collins because John Collins is the best trade asset the Hawks have, especially at a high price right now. He's obviously making a bunch of money off the extension. He's not like making crazy money. In fact, people, I think people, there's this notion that he's making the max or that he's making the same money as Ben Simmons, which is just not true. Collins is still making 25 million a year and actually below that right now to begin his contract, but it's still a large chunk of change. And um, I'd be surprised if they were to make a business trade without John Collins in it, just because of what you have to give up. But there's also the notion of like Jeremy Grant's out there. And there was the reporting today that I actually, brought, I actually talked about this before I brought you in on today's podcast, but um, there was a report from Jake Fisher um, that didn't, it didn't necessarily tie 
John Collins for Jeremy Grant as like a construction, but he mentioned that Collins is uh, more and more available, at least in what he is hearing. And also the Hawks are interested in Jeremy Grant. And, um, you know, people started asking me, and I'm sure you as well, like what that even looks like. Do they trade Collins for Grant? Do they trade Collins in a Simmons trade? Um, before we get into Grant, I, I know we kind of make fun of ourselves about this offline. Uh, you are not as high in Collins as I am. I can tell you that right now. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can correct me on this podcast, Adrian. But I, I think I'm higher on Collins than you. But uh, what do you make of him? Like, just I'm not saying he's definitely available like this because I'm I'm not sure conflicting reports on this to be honest. But people I trust, I trust I trust Jake Fisher. He's a is a friend of mine. I think he's a, I think he's a good reporter. It seems like he's more available than at least he was initially. Um, what do you make of all that? Because Collins is their second best player right now. And if he's this available in a deal for whoever, whether it be Simmons, Grant, or somebody else, like that's a that's a pretty big team building change, particularly after you just paid him a five-year deal for nine figures. Yeah, it's funny to think that, you know, a year later, as we approach the trade deadline, we're still getting like John Collins rumors. <laughs> it, it, it never ends. Like, yeah. yeah, it just seems like every year for as long as he's on the team, he's going to pop up in rumors. Um, and, you know, just for some reason, I mean, that makes sense, too, just because he's such a good player. He's someone that teams are always going to be looking at. Um, for Simmons specifically, yeah, I think it is hard to see a deal that doesn't involve Collins. I mean, just for salary and just for, you know, PR and the way that he could help the team. Um, if you're getting a top 50 guy back on a good contract, a reasonable contract, like I think that makes a lot of sense for Simmons. I think the Hawks would still have to throw in more um, just because Simmons yeah. has made, you know, a couple all-star games. I think that, you know, the league is still probably higher still on Simmons than they are on Collins. Um, so I, I think if, you know, for a Simmons-based trade, yeah, I mean, I think that's fine to send Collins out and some additional assets. I mean, there's definitely, like I said, you don't want to pay 150% of the price for Simmons, which is what they're going to ask for. And that's, again, why I'm skeptical that a deal can be reached. Um, but for Grant, you know, I, I think Grant is a lot more challenging. Um, when you when you look at how he's developed in Detroit, um, he's somebody he wanted to expand his game. He was kind of a 3 and D type player a glue guy in Denver. And since he's gone to uh, Detroit, he's, he's scored a lot more points. I mean, he's definitely probably elevated his perception of a player in some ways because of that. Um, but when you look at how he's doing it, I don't know that that's necessarily the type of portable role that you would like to bring to the Hawks. Um, he isolates a lot, you know, 15% of his possessions are isolation plays. Um, the efficiency isn't great. There's still value in that, just being able to command a double team, being able to attack smaller players. Like Grant still has value uh, in the, in that way, even if he's taking some shots that you don't like, but he can't stop the ball. And he's just he's just not as good of a player as John Collins. You know, and I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. I mean, I don't think that um, if, if they were to make a deal with Detroit, I think they would have to add to that. You know, I mean, if they threw in like Sadiq Bay or someone like that. Uh, maybe a draft pick or something along those lines that could make sense. And from the D Detroit side, I mean, I would love to do that deal. You know, if you could get yeah. a player like John Collins who rolls as hard as he does, who can pop, that's a great fit, you know, for a young ball handler like Kate Cunningham. So, I mean, they should be trying to get him, but from the Hawks side, I mean, it, it, it's just hard to see a deal for Grant that I would agree to. Yeah. I, I've said this a little bit, I think online today on Twitter and also earlier in this podcast, but I, I would not, consider a Collins Grant swap you know people might disagree with me in some ways you know I think Grant is really interesting from a value standpoint right now and, and sort of his perception around the league because at least in some of the framing and even what Detroit's probably asking for what I've heard they're asking for like they're almost asking for star level return for Jeremy Grant not quite that level it's not like what the Sixers are asking for for Simmons but when he's averaged 20 points a game the last two years that's kind of that mythical figure and points per game uh will always drive value discussions in some respects, but you know, he's 27. He'll be 28 in less than uh, what, like six weeks. 
So he's not like over the hill, but there's also the carrot out there where he's reportedly going to seek a very large extension, like a max extension, like a four year, hundred plus million dollar extension. And I don't want to give Jeremy Grant that contract. I think he's a good player. I'm not saying otherwise, but I think if you're the Hawks and you're going to trade for Jeremy Grant and pay what the price is for Jeremy Grant, whether that's Collins or whether that's like everything else, you know, salary filler plus two or three other assets, which is the other the other way to get Jerry Grant. I think it would be that basically like a Bogdanovich or a Gallinari plus two first rounders, maybe more than that, like Gallinari, Jalen Johnson, two first rounders, something like that. It's going to be a lot. It's, it's more than I would want to pay. Regardless, though, I think if you're going to do that, you kind of have to think that Jeremy, that Jerry Grant is like your number two option on offense. And I don't want that to happen. Not, not that Collins is a perfect number two either in terms of shot creation for himself. He's still more of a play finisher, but I do think that he is notably better than Grant and also younger than Grant and cost controlled, which is kind of going to overarching things for me. Yeah. But, when you start to go down the list, it's just yeah. it's tough. You know, he it's turns like, what, what, what is Grant better than? Yeah. I, I mean, there, there are certain things maybe you could say Grant is better than than Collins, but the list is not yeah. very long. He's a more versatile defender. I mean, he can create his own shots. I mean, there are advantages to him, but when you talk about a guy that, you know, turns 28 in a couple months, has a year left on his deal, then you have to pay him a big deal that, you know, extends through his 30s um, for a, and you give up a player in the process who's better than he is and younger. I mean, it's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense unless Detroit's just adding a lot. And then, you know, maybe we have a different conversation then, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. tough to see. I think there's maybe a way to do it. I mean, I, I know like Tower Jones, friend of the podcast would hate it no matter what it will be. Um, because of Collins and just what it is, but like maybe if the Pistons want to overpay, if they're like Troy Weaver is a very interesting general manager, he has some interesting player evaluations and kind of always has dating back to OKC. But um, the thing with Grant, just at the end of the day, for me anyway, is like I think he's more of like a number three or four guy on your on your team that you can you can pay that guy twenty million dollars a year. That's not that's not a problem. But does does he understand that he's that? I think the answer is no. I mean, he he obviously and even openly said he wanted to go to Detroit to get more shots and stuff. And yeah, he could have a bigger role in Atlanta than he used to have in Denver. That's conceivable, but he's not going to have the role he has in Detroit in Atlanta. That, and I wouldn't want him to, to be honest. I don't think I don't think he's good yeah. enough to do that. So, and you have to think too, like how that might affect guys like Hunter, you know, taking shots away from him. And it's 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 tough to see a move with, for Grant that makes a lot oh, of sense. Yeah, I wanted to ask. This is probably the last thing we'll do on Grant. Uh, somebody asked me this today, like. Is there a world where not only for the return, so I guess put the return somewhat to the side, um, because I think there is a way to do it for like a Gallinari plus picks heavy package if you overpay. Let's say they did that. Um, what does Grant's role look like on a team that has both Hunter and Collins still on it? And I was thinking about that today. Somebody asked me that, and I was like, well, there's probably enough minutes if you remove Gallo. You can just play Grant some of the three, which he has done in the past, play him as the backup four as well. You probably have to start him because he's making $20 million a year. And it, it, it's a little bit crowded for sure. I think that the, I think there probably is a way for that to work in my mind, but is that just like a bridge too far for you to even look at? Or is it like, again, I'm skeptical this, that this deal even exists, but let's say it was Gallinari and two or three assets. And that's kind of how you match the salary. Does that even work for you? Well, I think he works best at the four. Um, so Collins is obviously the most logical just because I, th I think they play the same position, but in this scenario where they give up like Gallinari or something, I mean, he's not going to come off the bench. I mean, that's yeah, um, he has to start. Just, just, just the investment <laughs> you're making in him and just, you know, how he wants to play and expecting big money and extension. He's not going to be, you know, agreeable to coming off the bench. So, I mean, really the only other option is you just, you know, you move Hunter to the bench and play him at the three and then, you know, Collins at the four. 
Um, you can't really move Collins to the, I, I mean, you can't really move Hunter to the two. I think you still got to leave Herter and Boganovich there. Yeah. Um, so really, I think what you would do is you would, you would basically be hedging your bets. I think on Hunter, you know, if you think that if you take more of a pessimistic view of his injuries or just, you're not, you know, you're uncertain about him, I would say, and you want to get, you know, a solid piece uh, that you can count on and grant, then I think that would be the logic of it. Then you just bring Hunter off the bench. But, you know, with Hunter's recent play coming back, you know, over the last five games or so, I mean, I see less need for that kind of thought process. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's how it would work. Yeah. I also, by the way, would not trade Hunter for Grant. I think you probably agree with me. But yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. That's the, that's the other thing that I've heard from Pistons. I mean, I had this weird crossover because I'm a Michigan guy where I have a lot of Pistons fan acquaintances and friends. And they're like, what about Hunter? I'm like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade Hunter for Grant. Um, and obviously that wouldn't work straight up anyway. You have to plug some more money in, but uh, that kind of tells you where I am on Grant. He's a good player. Again, I'm not, I'm not crapping on Jamie Grant. I think he's a, I think he's a good player, but I think his, I think his market value is perceived right now is a little higher than I actually think of him, which kind of drives all of this. Um, before we get off the trade stuff, I, I guess I want to ask you to be a little bit like hypothetical, even uh, clearly Trey Young is not available. Clint Capella is not practically available. Uh, I guess the question that I'll ask to you, and you can go wherever you want with this, is uh, is anybody like, are there tiers of availability for you? Like, who's the guy that you would make the least available besides Trey and so on? I'm not saying you have to list all of them, but like, do you have a Kongwu in your like must protect at all costs kind of tier? Do you have Hunter up there? Uh, what do you think about Collins right now? Like, if it was, if you're in charge, what are you looking to do? Because clearly they're going to make calls, but, and it's impossible without knowing what's available out there, but in terms of like what you would want to protect or actually have available, where are you at on the roster right now? Well, other than the two you mentioned, I mean, Trey's not going anywhere and Capella, they can't trade. Um, I don't think the team's good enough to make anyone untouchable. I mean, if you get the right offer, anybody, anybody could be dealt in my I opinion. Agree. <laughs> team's just, you know, you're looking for talent above all else. You'd love to get like another top 30 type player to pair with, you know, Trey long-term. So if you can make that happen for like a Jalen Brown or someone like that, that surprisingly becomes available, then, you know, at that point you're comfortable giving up some of these guys. Um, but you know, as far as how I would organize these guys, it's, it's really interesting, you know, as we approach the deadline, they were just playing so poorly. And then they start to get guys like Hunter and a Kongu back and you see them playing together. And it's like, okay, I mean, there's, there's something there, you know, you start to become where, I would say optimistic about the young guys seeing them play well over this win streak. You know, I'm not saying that sustains, but you can definitely see the outlines of a good team if they're, if they're patient with it. Um, as far as two guys that I would be very hesitant to deal, I think it probably is, you know, a Congo and Hunter. I mean, both those guys, I think just complement Trey so well, uh, Hunter offensively, he's, he's doing more, um, he's doing more offensively, you know, over the last like year or two, uh, his, mid-range proficiency is carried over from last year you know he I don't think he's handled the ball quite as well like he's you know he had the wrist injury so I think he's been a little bit you know rusty there and that's affected him going to the rim he hasn't been as good at the rim um, but he's still shooting well from mid-range and I just think that having that kind of option you know a team start to trap trade that you can throw it out to him and get a mismatch with Hunter I think that's you know, that makes a lot of sense and then obviously you have just defensive versatility as well um, a Congo too. He just, he's just been so impressive to me. You know, he's shown some really high level stuff defensively. Um, his mobility really jumps out to you. Um, you can also see the touch on his shots too. You know, just that little like floater, you know, almost Rashawn Holmes style push shot that he has. I think it's going to be a weapon and pick and roll. Um, so I think that when you look at those two guys, you could see how that could form maybe an eventual big three. And then you also have, you know, Collins and Herder too, that have shown a lot too. Collins has, you know, expanded his game. He's become a more of a playmaker. Um, he's been more consistent defensively. 
Herder's played so well as a starter. You know, when you look at his numbers over 25 games, he's averaging like 13, three and three, um, 61% shooting percentage, 42% from deep. So really none of these guys I'm, you know, I'm really looking to deal at all. You know, it would have to be a true star package, you know, like a Jalen Brown, someone like that, where I even, you know, start to think about dealing one of these guys. But I think that's how I would start to organize it mentally. I think we're pretty much aligned. You know, I've, I've said, throughout this season since the Collins have kind of bubbled up that I would be surprised if he got traded without a star in return. And the, the logical question is like, is Ben Simmons a star? And I'm, I'm including Ben Simmons in that, you know, you can debate on whether he's a star or not, but Ben Simmons is the kind of guy that Collins would be available for. I'm not saying he's going to get traded for Ben Simmons, but it has to be that level or higher for Collins to get dealt. I think in my mind, both practically and just what I would do. And then I also agree. I think Hunter and Okongwu are basically only going to be available for star level players right now in terms of like packages. Yeah. Maybe there's a challenge rate out there that I just, I just don't see, but usually you don't see those kind of one for one challenge kind of deals. It's usually these packages. Um, and the Hawks are in this weird spot. I mean, to sort of wrap up this trade discussion, the Hawks are in this weird position, and I wanted to ask you before I forget to do it, you know, they've won these four games in a row as we're talking now to get still, they're four games under 500 still. We all know that they're trying to win now. That's not a secret. They're coached by David Millen. He's not trying to hold anything back. They made the conference finals last year, and we're going to talk about the team more in part two of this conversation. But, like, are they in a spot where you'd be, like, really trying to buy? They're not going to be sellers, I don't think. Um, maybe if they had lost the last four games in a row and they had fallen, you know, 12 games under 500, they would have maybe thought about selling at some point. But now that I think that ship has probably sailed. So like, is it like a, a stand pat? Is it a see what you can do if, it, if, it, if a deal presents itself? Or are you someone that, that thinks the Hawks just have to do something? Because I think a lot of fans are like, I don't care what it is, make a trade. You know, I think as they've seen guys return from injury, like a Kongu and Hunter, maybe it throws like some cold water on the notion that they need to like be aggressive and, you know, make a big move. Um, you can kind of talk yourself into that prior to that, where you could see, well, you know, Hunter has been hurt a lot and we still don't know what we have in a Kongu. And I mean, even though it's such a small sample size, I mean, just, you know, these are, you know, four wins in a row against playoff teams. I mean, Capella um, hasn't always been available. Bogdanovich hasn't been available. So it's really been the young guys that have been key to this. And when you start to, you know, take a step back, I mean, you know, these guys are you know, 23, Hunter's 24, Collins is 24. Um, you can, you can, you know, see the outlines of a strong team down the line. So I think if you're willing to be patient, um, it makes a lot of sense not to get, I guess, uh, too aggressive, you know, if you can get like a Simmons or someone like that, but otherwise I don't think that you have to make a move. I would probably be looking for uh, smaller type moves. You know, if you could get another forward just to add some more depth, uh, behind hunters since you know they dealt solo they've dealt reddish it'd be nice to get somebody else that's not you know Luwawu or kevin knox or a rookie Jalen johnson that you could play um it's sort of like your 10th man i think would make a lot of sense um but really if i was trying to make a move i mean the guy that always just kind of comes to mind to me is just bogdanovich just because um if you look at him last year and this year um he's coming off two knee surgeries last year at age 29 um, you have to really wonder if he's maybe lost a step he just doesn't look quite right he doesn't look as fluid um, and then he's still got two more years left on his deal. Of course, you know, Herder's extension kicks in next year. So you start to run into more money issues. So if there's one guy that I would kind of be looking to deal, if the right option is available, it's probably him. Um, that's not to say that you're just giving him away, but if you're getting like a comparable player back that, you know, may not come with some of the questions about, you know, his physical condition, um, that's probably who I'd be looking to deal. And then, you know, defensively, he's just been, you know, a clear liability. Um, last year, he was at least a solid defender. He worked well within a team defense concept, but now he's just allowing so many blow buys. 
I don't think it's, you know, a pure coincidence that they're playing better without him. Um, so if you could find the right trade partner for him, he's probably the guy that I would be most likely to deal. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and that will be the end of our trade discussion. But this is only part one of part two. So we're going to take it to part two now. Uh, before I forget to say it, uh, follow Andrew on the Twitter machine. Andrew, plug yourself. You'll, you'll do this twice, but this is the first time. So where can people find you on Twitter to uh, follow all of your uh, all of your blazing takes on the Hawks? Yeah, A. Kelly on Twitter. Uh, A-N-D-L-A-N-K-E-L-L is my handle. But yeah, you'll find me on there. Check out Andrew's stuff and please stay tuned for part two. It should be in your feeds shortly if it's not already. And we'll see you over there after this.